0: Welcome to Bears Beyond the Gate, a Bristol Bears podcast made by fans for fans. We're four-season ticket holders at Ashton Gate who love the club, the game and all things Bears. In this week's show, we review the 38-51 home defeat in our return to the Champions Cup. A try-scoring bonus point was salvaged from the game against Claremont, who thoroughly deserved the win. Looking ahead to the trip to Ireland and the game against Connacht, we ask what now for the Bears' European ambitions? We get the lowdown on our Irish opposition from our friends at the Craggy Rugby Podcast. They tell us about Connacht's form, key players and their memories of Pat Lamb. All this and more on this week's show. I'm Tony and I'm joined on the interweb by Lee, Miles and Pete for a cheeky beer and some rugby banter. Well, gentlemen, it's great to actually be able to see you. um, We've gone all... um, uh, Online and technical. This week, we're trying out some new software, so for the first time on these remote recordings, I can actually see you all, although you are a bit pixelated there in the background. Uh, so uh, let let me come to you first, uh, Miles. Um, uh, how how are you? How's uh, your week been this week? And uh, have you got over that uh, the disappointment from Saturday?
1: uh yeah i'm good touch tony it's sort of nice to get out of well i've been ousted up to the loft but actually there's a bit of peace and quiet and i'm quietly sat here drinking a beer and looking at you boys well two-thirds of the team yeah had a tough week at work on nights always a bit rubbish but had that friday feeling and um enjoyed the game immensely despite the results um, but we'll chat a bit more about the game later
0: and and lee i can see the the top half of your head there uh from the eyebrows up um h- how are you and how's this new technology for you
2: <laughs> i knew you would ask me this tony because you know i am the technophobe out of the four of us so <clears throat> i'm happy to be here i can't see any of you i just see three maps um but i can just about hear you. So. Um, so it's about as good as I'm going to get, I think, at this end.
0: There we are, and Pete, you're you're, you're a master of technology. I believe you're you're doing this on a uh, what did you say on a raincoat machine? Or was it a Mac?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually an iMac. It's, I got it secondhand from school a couple of years ago, Tony. So I don't want people to think I'm some sort of fancy uh, Apple designer. But yeah, it's quite handy um yeah i'm good actually I'm, I'm actually feeling quite chipper because this is one of those times of the year a sunday night when i haven't got any work the next day because i actually broke up for the holidays on friday so um i'm full of the joys of uh of of well, it's not spring is it i'm full of the joys of holiday. so um uh, yeah ready raring to go tone
0: Right, well let's talk about the game then we'd all look forward, Uh, it's been 12 12 long years 12 long seasons before we have been in the Champions Cup, Uh, the game came round on Saturday and uh, yeah, it we, nobody could say it wasn't an entertaining game, and uh, I'm sure there was a few people on Channel 4 that uh, will have enjoyed seeing Bristol play for the first time. 12 tries and Bristol losing 38 points to 51 against Claremont. Miles, um, your your thoughts on the game and maybe that, that opening burst by our French opposition.
1: <laughs> now, I've got a bit of admission, lad, Sadly... I didn't have the wrong game time on my calendar at home. And I didn't realise the game started until you boys started sort of messaging. So I quickly turned the old TV on to have missed the first 21 minutes. Uh, it's, a, it's a very, it's a very an embarrassment. So I have, you know, since been back and watched them. Uh, and I was obviously hugely disappointed to be down after 21 minutes. And But uh, some of the tries by, by Claremont were fantastic in those 21 minutes. Um, And we'd been warned, hadn't we, by one of their fastest players, Mitsushima, by our friend on the French Rugby podcast. And, God, he was as quick as lightning. But disappointing after the first 21 minutes, but a different story in in the second half, which we'll come on to talk about.
0: Yeah, and Lee, what what were your thoughts after that opening? You you know, being, I think, what were we at, 21 points down after about uh, 15 minutes? Um, It it wasn't looking good at that point, was it?
2: It wasn't, Tony. Do you know Claremont were actually founded by Marcel Michelin, which is uh, the son of Andre? Um, And I think Claremont definitely took the the air out of our tires, I would say, in that first 20 minutes.
0: Uh, absolutely, we were all feeling a bit deflated there. Um, uh, and Pete, uh, what were your thoughts on on the French opposition?
3: Well, it was. I mean, it was a it was a bit of a shell shock the first twenty minutes. Um, I'm surprised Miles only saw messages from us after twenty minutes. I think I started ranting after about four. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think when you're that far down after that short amount of time it it was essentially game over although clearly bristol showed a lot of spirit and and also showed a lot of their skill sets by uh, by coming back into the game and I'm, I'm sure pushed claremont a bit more than they they expected and i don't know i mean i think when you analyze those first three tries uh there was an argument to say that they were they were a little bit of a gift. You know, I know Claremont came out strong. They really did. And they were absolutely brutal. But it, it's just the little moments here and there and the little margins. You know, a slightly missed tackle, an interception try, you know, maybe just slightly late to the breakdown. And suddenly, with a team like that, you know, you can be three scores down. So whilst it was, uh, it was pretty chastening, I, I think there was a lot to be positive about. And in fact, in many ways... I quite enjoyed the, the the final sixty minutes after that first twenty because it it became quite a you know quite an interesting game to watch to see how Bristol were gonna to get themselves back into the game and, and whether the system was going to be the solution and I think broadly it was in the end
0: yeah so uh Miles, the game obviously progressed 14-29 down at half time but things were starting to turn around um and then you know what what a, a second half as well of free <laughs> free flowing rugby um but uh you know do do you think we were just outplayed by the opposition or were some of the bristol players did did they have a bad day at the office
1: um i mean i can't honestly say that any of the Bristol players had a terrible day at the office. Yeah, as Pete alluded to, there were some uh, pretty bad missed tackles, but playing in a, such an attacking side like Claremont, I mean, it's, it's difficult to keep them away from the score scoreline. Um, I mean, Bristol played, Yeah, as I said, I, I'm glad I missed the first 20 minutes because the game thereafter was really encouraging. Uh, you know, I was sort of whining a little bit, as was, as was my wife, about Bristol not clearing their lines, not kicking for my 22. But as we all know, and the commentator said, that's the system that Bristol have been playing. And if you suddenly change it on one game, then the, the whole team aren't going to really be on board. It was a bit bit annoying at times, um, but I can't knock Claremont. They were a fantastic side. Um and all in all, it's going to be very tough for any other side to sort of come and beat Claremont. But loved the second half. Vista were so attacking. The system worked. The sort of loops and the plays and the running rugby was so encouraging. And I loved every try. But, um, yeah, we just came a little bit short in the second half. And But, you know, I'm not going to take it away from the lads. We we, we played we played quite well.
0: Uh, Lee, let me come to you. Any Anybody... Particularly stand out for you? I thought uh, Max Malins uh, Max Malins rather had a, a a good comeback from his international duty.
2: Yeah, I thought Max was <clears throat> excuse me, was class as usual. Um I thought Dan Thomas played played quite well. Um I thought Hughes he was okay. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna um just say like I, I agree with Miles. I don't think anyone necessarily had a poor game, but I think there was a couple of players that were a bit quiet, certainly quieter than, than usual. Um I thought Alapati was, was quite was was below his usual standards. Um and I thought Joycey was quiet as well. Um but, you know, having said that, and we did leave, you know, we did kind of we did get battered in that first 20 minutes. And I think a lot of those players were kind of shell-shocked um, and we did really well to, to hang in there. And I mean, what a game it must've been for a neutral to, to see that. I mean, you know, 12 tries and you don't, don't see that often, do you? Um, and it was full value. Um, and I know we're going to talk a, a little bit later about where that would leave us now in terms of uh, qualification. Um, but, These are the games that we have been waiting years and years for, aren't they? Um, And, you know, even though we lost this one, personally, it was just great to see us at the top table again.
0: And Pete, let me come to you. Um, it was a monster pack that uh, we were up again. There were some really big units uh, in that, that front eight. Uh, and also Claremont had a, a, you know, a fantastic back line. And I, I kept looking, actually. I I think, was it their number 13? I, I just thought he was a, a prop, the, the way he was built. He was so big. Uh, were we just out-muscled and out-thought, do you think, by a, a good team? Well, I think we were in the first 20
3: minutes and I think they were very, very direct and they were hitting us down the middle. I take issue a little bit with our forwards. I thought they played pretty well. I thought Joycey didn't look out of place. At the European top table, um, I thought Jake had a good game. I thought you know our scrum was solid. I think there was only one scrum had penalty, um, and I think that we were just I thought our forwards stuck at it really well, and were were, were once we got over that kind of first twenty minutes, which I think they were really, they were punching right down the middle. And in many ways, they were kind of doing what we should have done, I think. Um, we tried to do our standard thing of kind of playing it out wide, you know, round the back. And they were just doing what Northampton Saints did in that first game, is just piling the defence on the wing and we were getting isolated. And I think that that's the one thing that I'm not quite sure about with the system. When you come up against a really good side like that, you've got to draw their defence in. And that's exactly what they did to us. They were just punching the middle and then they span it wide. And that's why they, you know, they had the space. And we kind of go looking for space um you know we're like kind of explorers that don't quite know what the map is <laughs> and then hope we find it sometimes whereas they really really created it but i gotta say i thought our pack were you know and, and and our one of my mates who's um not a bristol fan was watching it and he texted me to say he was really impressed with bristol's like second half and the last 10 minutes where we just you know our fitness showed really well and we didn't give up and he was he thought that you know we finished really strongly so yeah it was it was a difficult one. But like anything, it's always down to those little fine margins. And I think those little fine margins get amplified when you're up against a team that really, really... Um, exploits
0: them. I mean, it's inter- certainly interesting if you look at the statistics, uh, possession, uh, 54% to Bristol territory, 52%. Uh, we made 514 metres to Claremont's 471, 137 carries to their 103, 24 clean breaks. Um, and the tackles were almost identical at uh, 125 to Bristol, 126 to Claremont. Um, I, you know, you statistically you look at it. And uh, you know it—it uh, it was pretty even. Uh, Bristol edging most of the key stats, but obviously the one stat that they didn't edge was seven tries to to five. And I thought the the lethal finishing of Claremont, um, uh, just how clinical they were, was that real difference, and the kind of precision that uh, they they had in the game. Um, one more stat, which I think is worth just telling the listeners, that was Bristol's thirteenth. 13th- the cat game in the Champions Cup Uh, it was Claremont's 115th so when you you think about the experience that that team has had uh, certainly in the last few seasons you know that's one game in 12 years in the the, the top flight of European rugby so I think uh, as we know and as Pat often says you know it's still uh, we're working towards where we want to be this isn't the finished product Pete I think you wanted to uh, mention some
3: yeah I did I, just talking about physicality I just wanted to mention Harry Randall because I thought he had a good game and I, I thought he showed why Pat has got massive faith in him um, not just for his scrum half skills but I think for his you know his braveness in defence because there was a couple of times in the second half he, he took out he took down Racker a couple of times and uh, and I think that was the kind of it was that kind of spirit that really drove us forward in the second half. And I also think we have to mention Purdy as well um, before we, we leave this game because I mean, there were, that try we scored, that Randall scored, I mean, that came from Purdy just bouncing at Matsushima off him. And, and I mean, he looked like an European thoroughbred, Purdy. And I, I something that I've kind of mentioned in another place that, you know, let, think this guy signed on a temporary loan less than a year ago from the Championship and he looked like a European player on Saturday, and that's got to be down to him in his mindset and his mentality. But also about the way that our coaches appear to be able to develop players that are you know are willing to be developed. And I I just think that you know those two players needed a mention as well.
2: I, I think that's a great shout. Actually, I mean, Pete did make a good point. I think one one of the things that was missing, the key things for me, was that. We didn't take the ball into contact enough and draw them out. And they did that to us. Um, And that was quite, I thought that was quite noticeable. I didn't know what you guys thought. I agree, that's what I thought, yeah.
0: And certainly, when we did, we were getting isolated as well, weren't we? Right. Uh, often, uh, people were were getting isolated, and we were we were getting turned over. Uh, just a, a couple of things I want to just pick up on. Um, it. Uh, I, I was watching the game on BT Sport, and uh, our fourth try, they were. Uh, I think they were still showing some replay when uh, Maylins took that quick little tap and uh, flicked it out to to Lloyd, who went over in the corner. Um, I thought, uh, again, to I, Malin's I, I would love to see much more of Max Malins. Um, I, you know, Sheedy maybe didn't have his best game having come back from international duty, uh, it, against tough opposition. But I, I really think that, uh, you know, when we spoke to Pat, he said, everyone's going to have to have two weeks off between now and, uh, the Six Nations, the international boys. And I just wonder if that's going to, give Max Malins a couple of games at fly half um, uh, or when he maybe has to to rest Sheedy because I I really would like to see that and the other thing is another Max Malins point for the fifth try that lovely bit of footwork um, just to uh, kick the ball on when he I think the pass didn't quite go, go to hand but a lovely little uh, flick on for, for Tau then to, to pick up and uh, run through and score. So, uh, yeah, plenty, plenty of entertainment from that game. Lee, was there something you wanted to mention?
2: I was going to say, I mean, he's got a fantastic rugby brain, hasn't he, Max Malins? Um, and I did get a few pelters for just putting out there uh, on Twitter last night to say that Malins is, is better than Big Charles. Um, and it was it was slightly tongue in cheek. Um, but I do think Maidens gives you different options. And I, I know that he's not going to be able to stay with us. He's going to go back to Saris. Um, but I would definitely, I agree with you, Tone. I would like to see him in a Bristol shirt a lot more between now and, and the time that he leaves.
0: And, and, Miles, to come to you, um, one player missing and uh, Pat Lamb was very disappointed that that player was missing. Um, what do you make of the whole uh, uh, Sami Randra and the, the Fiji saga? Uh,
1: yes, yeah, saga, that's an understatement. I mean, I think we get the impression as fans that Pat is none too happy about the situation, is he? And that he's been on the blower to the head coach at Fiji and had a right a, a few angry words, one would imagine, Um, yeah I mean it's just terrible we as Pat alluded to we've signed this fantastic international player for these sorts of games these big European games where he's strong fast in the centre and I'm not saying that we could have turned over Claremont but certainly his presence tackling ability and speed potentially could have got us another few tries or a few different angles and not to have him play for this game and Connacht because of supposedly mismanagement keeping him on the, the field for too long in in the Fiji Georgia game is really disappointing. Um and, and it turns out we're not gonna see Semi for maybe another month. Yeah, a bit gutted. Um I don't know what your you fellas' opinion of that is.
2: Yeah, I I'd agree. I I think we miss Semi. We we also I think in this game we miss Lua and Chris Bowie as well. I mean, those three I think, um, again, I agree. I don't know if we would have beaten Claremont, but with those three on the pitch, uh, I think we would have definitely been been close to it.
0: Uh- Pete, well, one thing, uh, one player that we haven't touched on that we got a glimpse of for the first time was uh, when he came off the the bench, uh, Newell Argo, Um Unfortunately, didn't really get uh, the ball in an attacking position. But uh, any any thoughts about uh, the, the cameo performance?
3: Yeah, he was. Um, he he had one big hit, didn't he? One big classic man and ball hit. Um, on one of their players, came in off the wing, timed it well, which is always a good good sign that he's got timing. Yeah, I mean, a couple of times he picked the ball, he, he looked strong. I mean, he, I think he, uh, you know, he looked uh, he looked the business. And yeah, I think I, I, I mean, we're going to talk about the team for next week, aren't we? In a minute, but I, I think uh, he's definitely being fast tracked uh, to get into the uh, the first team uh, because he is certainly. He's certainly a unit. There's no doubt about Were it.
2: Were you surprised to see him? Because I, I wasn't expecting him to really be involved. Because, I mean, he had a, a run out at Elin, didn't he? And then to, to be thrown in yeah. against Claremont, I, that surprised me, actually.
0: Well, of course, Adiolokin. Darielo picked up an injury didn't he so he he was right. listed as injured so um whether whether that's why he got uh, got the call but uh, yeah i suppose he's he's been with the squad for what nearly a couple of weeks now so um you know it's uh, as pat often says it's the only way to uh, to to get better in experience is to to actually get on there on the pitch on a competitive game um Just uh, wary of the time, we probably need to move on. One thing I just did want to say that uh, Connell, our opposition uh, next... Week um, they played today and uh, narrowly lost away at uh, Racing ninety two so uh, uh, that's a, a pretty although they didn't win a pretty impressive uh, performance to go there and get uh, get that close um, so let's uh, let's talk about next week then uh, we are away in the Emerald Isle it's Connaught uh, and it's on Sunday the twentieth of December at five thirty. PM kickoff. So, remember that, Miles. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll text you half an hour before the game starts. So,
2: uh,
0: yeah, you, everybody, remember to uh, you know be all ready for for bed. Have your jammies on. So uh, you know it's a, a a school day the next day. Apart from. Pete, who um, is uh, obviously enjoying his Christmas holidays now. Well, um, in keeping with last week when um, we wanted to get some insight onto the opposition, um, uh, this week uh, Pete uh, did an interview with uh, some of the guys behind the Craggy Rugby podcast. So let's have a listen to what they talked about.
3: In light of the fact we're playing Connacht next Sunday, I'm delighted to be able to speak to Alan Deegan and William Davis from the Craggy Rugby Pod podcast. Um, Guys, thanks so much for for giving up your time. Um, So Alan, I wonder, could you tell me something about your podcast, um, how long it's been going and how and why did you set it up?
4: Yeah, we've been, we've been going about six, six seasons now. We're, we're, we're well into it. Um, Rob Murphy who commentates for Galway Bay FM who and Galway Bay FM cover every kind of game no matter what and we we find whatever way we can we find a way of getting ourselves uh, commentary teams. Rob set it up he was the he was the the commentator. He was looking for some guys to help him report on Connacht because in, in Ireland there's Leinster there's Munster there's Ulster and then people suddenly remember there is a fourth province and that's us we are the smallest province we, we we don't have that many people living here it's only about half a million people or so so um we don't get much coverage so we decided we needed to cover Connacht as professionally as we could so we've been doing it for six years and uh, it's been cool how many
3: how many episodes have you done so far do you
4: know we've hit 300 about two or three episodes ago so we're we, we actually at this stage we, we do three a week we've got our post-match podcast which we record straight after the game because, because we're working for Galway Bay William would be a co-commentator there on, on some of the games I might every now and again I'd do a lot of the stats and Rob would be the, the main commentator and, and we do it straight after the game so that will get out on a Monday and then on a the Tuesday night we'd record after our midweek press conference and then get with that one out on Thursday and now William has been working well in the background and we now get to talk to the coach which is after the team has been picked. So we do a little mini pod on why they've picked the team and who they've picked and why they've picked them. So, yeah, we're we starting to get really really out there with it. So it's good fun.
3: we have also um, joined by William Davis, um, who's your, your sort of partner in crime, I guess you might call him. So I was just wondering if you could just give us a quick uh, sort of potted history about the club and, and, uh, and sort of maybe a, a few little pointers to the, to, to the what's happened to the club, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be really interested to
5: know that. Yeah, good evening uh, Pete, good to talk to you. Um, yes, Connacht uh, is one of the four uh, provincial sites in, in Ireland, um, covers five counties, Galway Mayo, Sligo, Leitrim and Roscommon. so we're very much based in the west of Ireland, it's the smallest uh province. So rugby is very much uh, the fourth game here behind Gaelic sports, Erling football, uh, association football, uh, and rugby would be fourth. So realistically, you'd have to say until 2016, uh, Connacht achieved not a lot at times. Their best days were probably in the 1950s when they were a very strong provincial side. Uh, There's always been an issue about Connacht players being selected for Ireland. Uh, A lot of very good players have come through our system, both in the amateur and the professional era, who should have been and weren't picked for Ireland. Uh, That has improved a lot in the last number of years. But really, Connacht have kicked on with the professional era coming in 20 years ago. Prior to that, they played maybe three, four games a season. Club rugby was much more important. The interprovincials were played: Connacht, Munster, Connacht, Ulster, Connacht, Leinster, to allow players to play at a representative level. And there was the odd touring team came here, but really, professional rugby has changed everything in terms of the uh, people who follow the team and the the interest in the game has has grown. But as Alan said. We're still very much the fourth province in terms of uh, sponsorship capabilities, uh, and they're always fighting a hard battle, but that's something that Pat Lamb sort of bought into when he came here, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But really, 2016, winning the Pro 12 was something that came almost from nowhere, uh, and since then they've been trying to to replicate that, and it, it hasn't happened. But... Rugby is on a much firmer footing here now.
3: Okay, so um, Alan, uh, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how uh, Connor have been doing this season.
4: Yeah, we've been a we've been a little bit up and down. We've been winning winning in games with try bonus points, but then losing the next game, which has been a bit of a frustration for us. But we have managed to to win two in a row now, so we're on a we're on a good footing. Like we we actually lost more players to Ireland this year than we've done in a long time. Um, so the likes of Kieran Marmion Finlay Bielham um, Jack Carty was there was out for a while and, and so was um, Ulton De so we, we actually got it, it, it had big a big effect on us which is something that we've always managed to sort of not have any problem with because there was always a trouble with getting kind of players recognised by Ireland but because we, we did quite well last season and, and the guys are playing well and playing good rugby it's meant that we got a little bit disrupted but um, Andy Friend and the coaching staff have done a really good job with the lads in behind and we, we've got a pretty decent squad this year. And yes, yeah, so we've won we've won four of our six games. We're in second, second place in our conference. There's two conferences in the Pro 14. So we're behind Munster, but um, the, conferences, the conferences currently stand with Ulster and Leinster on top of their conference tables and, and Connacht and Munster on top of ours. So the Irish teams are doing quite well. I
3: wonder, William, is, is there any particular players that you could highlight that, uh, that our, uh, our, our fans should be uh, watching out for?
5: Yeah, obviously the internationals. Uh, it's hard to know how many of them will be picked for games at the moment. and Connacht have full control of them. We have inter-provincial games coming up against Ulster, Leinster and Munster at Christmas before the reverse European fixtures. So this is the seven hardest weeks for any Irish team with two European, 3 interpro, and two more European. Uh, I would be keeping an eye out. John Portrait, fullback, who's an Australian import. A uh, lot of speed, a lot of pace. Uh, keep an eye out for Dave Heffernan at Hooker. Uh, somebody who was around in the Pat Lamb era, who was very well uh, respected by that coaching team. Uh, Quinn Roo in the second row is a big, strong unit. Uh, and Paul Boyle at eight, if, if selected, uh, is somebody who I think will play for Ireland sooner rather than later. Uh, although Irish back, the Irish back row is probably the hardest bit of the Irish team to get into. In the backs, uh, probably going to see Ciarán Marmion, scrum half, or a chap called Caelan Blade, who's a local player. Very <laughs> interesting, scrum half. Jack Carty at out half doesn't maybe hit the heights this season. So obviously we, we do have a connection
3: with your club um, via our director of rugby, Pat Lamb, and, and various other players and coaches that have come with him. But I'd be really interested to know, you know, what was the feeling at your place when, when Pat decided to leave and, and come to Bristol?
5: Uh, it was a grim day, to be honest, because... He had bought in very strongly to the ethos of Connacht. He got it very quickly. How uh, undervalued the province was by Central IRFU, I think. Uh, they tried to shut us down at one stage, um, and he, he 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 took on the good work that Eric Elwood had done, uh, and he took it to a different level, and his a uh, his interaction with local people here was absolutely immense and it he he struck a chord even with people who have no interest in rugby and maybe still don't have an interest in rugby but they had an interest in his story about what he was trying to achieve at Connacht, and it was very difficult it was a very difficult year when he saw out the year Conor got very close to the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup that year. We uh, got it screwed it up in in, uh, in an away match in Toulouse that we probably should have won. I can still see that pass drifting into touch with about two minutes to go, and I was commentating yep. on it. And you're trying not to swear, but you really want to swear. But you kind of knew that was that was the end. And he's built a great team over there, Conor McPhillips. Um, was very highly regarded here at Connacht. Obviously, John Muldoon was the captain of the winning side in 2012, and a Connacht icon, um, and still is a Connacht icon, It will remain that forever. And obviously, then Jake Keenan's, You know, you've got Jake Keenan, and the players are there, so there is a real connection. It's it's it was written in the stars that we were going to play Bristol, and it's just a disaster that. The stadium will be empty here. Uh, Probably when Connacht go to Bristol, it'll be very similar. I can assure you on Sunday night, that stadium, the sports ground with Pat Lamb bringing Bristol back, there would be 8,093 people in there. And it would have been red hot. The atmosphere would have been second to none. Mm. And unfortunately... We're not going to get that, but he's going to be welcomed back. Uh, And obviously, people will be hoping that he he leaves with uh, a defeat. And that's just the way of sport, isn't it? But it was very difficult when he left. And it's taken a while, but Andy Friend and the coaches that are there now and the players, I think, are getting back on track. But he was a huge presence. He was just immense. He was everywhere. He seemed to be... uh, he was like
4: a, a one-man Connacht machine, and the fact well, that and, and just just something just to just to sort of bring it down to a personal level, you know, like I, I'm I'm the sort of background person in the in the podcast um, for most of the time. William and, and Rob used to, do, to run a lot more than I did, and um, the day before the 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 final in Edinburgh we had to go and pick up the, the Connacht president to, to get him onto the radio for Galway Bay FM to talk about the final because this this had never happened before. Connacht had never got to a final and went into the hotel to pick up the president and Pat Lamb was there and he saw, I walked in with Rob who was the commentator and Pat goes over to Rob and shakes his hand, hey Rob, how you doing? And looks at me and I just give him a nod and he goes, hello. And then I go off looking for the president. The next day, I managed to wangle myself onto the pitch at the end of the game. I didn't have the right pass. I didn't have the right level, but I held a microphone and I pretended I knew what I was doing. And I got onto the pitch, pretended I knew where I was going. Nobody stopped me. And I interviewed a couple of players. And after I, I turned around from interviewing, I think it was Ronan Lockney, I turned around to look for someone else. Halfway around the pitch and Pat Lambs there, he goes, good work, Alan. And he, he shakes my hand. I'm thinking, Wow he didn't know my name yesterday and here we are on the pitch after winning the final and he knows my name. I'm going, that's incredible. Like that that's attention to detail it was just an example of for me, what he brought to the, to the whole setup right across the board.
3: It's, uh, it's interesting you say that actually, because when we, we interviewed him for our 50th episode, um, the first thing he said was, uh, Oh, yeah, I heard you guys were getting close to the 50th. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I'm sure I can't yeah. believe that yeah. he's a regular listener, but he'd obviously kind of been briefed and, you know, yeah. he, he, he made that point and, he, he, you know, it made us
4: feel like a million dollars. So oh, absolutely. He, and I think that's his genius. That's his genius, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds very, what you're saying what William, you said about. What he was like is very similar obviously, uh, which is un- it's understandable really, but very, very similar to what's going on and what has gone on here for the last uh, couple of years
0: so Pete, uh, great interview there well done um, um what 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 was your impression of uh, of the guys and uh, what they talked about <laughs>
3: Well, they were really nice guys, Tony. Very smooth, very professional, definitely something that, you know, we should aspire to. And I think, you know, they gave a very honest assessment of, of Connor. They sound they, like they, they're a, a team on the up. They've got a lot of uh, optimism. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, they, they definitely need to be a team that we need to be wary of next week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's so nice to hear their fondness for Pat as well still. And, uh, you know, what he did in the community, um, miles, let me come to you, um, uh, after that heavy, uh, well, big defeat to Claremont. Um, I think Pat said in one of the interviews after the game that, uh, you know, he's, he's still, he's still prioritizing this competition. Um, what kind of team do you think uh, will we'll take out to Ireland uh, at the weekend?
1: Uh, well, I guess barring their injuries, Pat did suggest in his post-match interview that he was still still keen to do as well as possible in this competition. Uh, and that means win, win really the, win the next pool game. So based on that, why wouldn't you take out the best players that you've got available to you? Um, and looking at that, the team that played uh, on the weekend against Claremont. I mean, that's, I guess, undoubtedly the strongest side we can put out at the moment. Um, a lot of the players played fantastically and, you know, Pat knows the Connaught team well and the, and the systems they play. Well, obviously they might have changed a bit, but I, I, I presume similar team to the weekend, really maybe alluded to a few players coming back Um as Pete, as you said, I'm quite surprised that they only narrowly lost to Racing ninety two. So it proves that they are a very good outfit, and we certainly shouldn't uh, shouldn't take them for granted.
0: Lee, um, your, your thoughts on the game? Do you think some of the the injured players um, that are coming back might might get a game here, or or do you think we're we're pretty much going to see a similar twenty three?
2: Well, I, I think. Um... I mean, by all accounts, Lua Tua is quite close to a comeback, isn't he? Um, Chris Vui, where where are we to with Vui at the moment? He wasn't too far away. So, I mean, if those guys are are fit, then I think they'll be included. Um, but I, I generally agree with Miles. I think they will be pretty much the side that, that played at the weekend.
0: Yeah, and Pete, um, you're you're a teacher. You 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 know about complicated things Um, with this structure that we've got for the Champions Cup and the two pools and uh, everybody playing slightly different fixtures. you know how, how do you rate Bristol's chances of um, making the top four and being able to get through to the the quarterfinals? Have we already had a, a a kind of fatal blow to our hopes there? Especially as I think Exeter are in the same side of the uh, the the kind of draw as us. Uh, and what was it they did to Glasgow today? I think they they did they beat them forty three points to to nil um you know is is this something you think we should still be prioritizing or if we have got the likes of luatoa and uh vui cl- quite close do do you send them to ireland or or do you keep them for that uh, that boxing day game against Quinns
3: i think we have i think you're very um it's very nice of you to assume that i understand the <laughs> uh, setup um uh, I think the only thing I could say is I think that we have put ourselves at a a huge disadvantage by losing, and it it was always going to be tough, wasn't it, with a game like that first off. But I think we—I would have thought that he'd want to go all guns for Connor because, yeah, let's say we got a bonus point win, you know, you don't know, you may as well get it, and then if after that you then look at the next two, then yeah, you may change it. I mean, the problem with this. Format. I was thinking about this the other day. Is that it is probably going to create two the first two rounds of really exciting rugby where everybody's going all, go all guns, and then it's going to create some dead rubbers, isn't it? Uh, which may be the time to then throw in your, um, you know, your younger players to get the experience. I, I personally, I think we'll probably put a really strong side out. Of Connor, I think Pat has got that element of pride as well that he wants to go there and win, um, and you know, so I think he'll he'll pick on who's available and, and who's fit enough to, to play. I, one thing I, I do wonder um, was you mentioned Sheedy earlier about, you know, he had a fairly quiet game and Malin's had a good game and Lloyd looked really good when he came on. I wonder whether he's going to give Sheedy his two weeks off now um, and maybe stick Lloyd at 10 and Malin's at fullback and take a bit of a risk and um, or maybe and sort of think well actually now we've lost that one you know realistically we do need to keep some powder dry for the for the Harlequins game and you know is, is Lloyd gonna be a really you know a worse option at the moment because his kicking's good and is kicking is good so that was my one sort of thought about about the weekend is it is it Sheedy's too weak
0: yeah no I think it would be fascinating to see how he um uh, uh, puts the the international players, gives them this rest. I suppose one of the things, I I mean, I'm not a big, Big fan of it personally, but uh, in in the pool of twelve that we're in, the top four go through to the Champions Cup quarter uh, final. But then, if you finish in positions five to eight, you get parachuted into the Challenge Cup. So uh, I suppose there still is, even if you've lost your opening game, that incentive to to have an outside shot, maybe, of getting to the Champions Cup quarter final but of, of guaranteeing then maybe a uh, Challenge Cup slot and uh, uh, a game in that competition. Lee, um, your, your thoughts about the importance of this game compared to the, the Premiership games that are coming up? Because I think we've got, is it Queen's, Newcastle and Exeter before we go back into European action in mid-January?
2: Yeah, yeah, we have. I, I mean, I, I agree with Pete. I think that that Pat will go strong this week um, and we've got a, a double header haven't we against Connaught so I mean if you win away from home um, and then beat Connaught again at home then obviously it's all set up for the last game against Claremont isn't it so I think Pat will go strong I think he'll want to go back there and he'll want to win as much as Connaught want want to beat him he'll be exactly the same the opposite way Um and i think then depending on this weekend's result i think then if if things didn't go for us and we lost and then i think then things will change but i think he would definitely go strong for now anyway
0: okay uh well predictions then let's uh, let's see where we think we're going to be miles I've come to you were how do you see the game going on sunday
1: um yeah, I, I think it'll be quite close but I'm sort of uh, quite confident that we'll get the win if we play a, a similar team so I don't know I mean I predict we'll get maybe get four tries so maybe 28 but a bit closer so maybe something like 28-23 to Bristol
0: There we are Pete, your your predictions for the uh, this week
3: Well I think we've got to assume that we're going to go for the bonus point win we have to don't we so that's at least four tries. And, you know, given the fact we ran in five against Claremont, I, I don't think that's unrealistic. So let's say 30-20. I think it, it, it would be worse if there was fans there for us. I think there aren't any there. So 20-30, I'm going to go.
0: Okay. Uh, Lee, your thoughts?
2: Uh, I'm going to go for 26-14 to Bristol, too so-
0: there we are, and I, I am going to go for a uh, 21-18 Bristol win. I think it's going to be uh, a lot tight, lot tighter. I think uh, any any game in Ireland is uh, is always going to be difficult, e- even without the the, the, the fans there. Uh, so we shall talk about that next week. Uh, fascinating to see, but how good is it to uh, to see Bristol in the Champions Cup? You're listening to Bears Beyond the Gate, a Bristol Bears podcast made by fans for fans. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Buzzsprout, and many more platforms. You can contact us with your comments and ideas by email at bearsbeyondthegate at gmail.com. On Twitter, we're Bears Beyond Gate. And on Facebook, you can like and follow our Bears Beyond the Gate page. Right. Let's have a look at uh, other news then. And um, the historic, uh, you know, first home game at Ashton Gate in the Champions Cup um, was sadly marked by the fact that the club shop didn't have any of the European shirts on sale. Uh, They did make an effort, though. I see that the uh, pink and black adult bobble hat came out and then sold out uh, within a day or two. Uh, and we also had a special commemorative uh, Challenge Cup uh, baseball cap, uh, which I think is also sold out. And I did put a little bit of a uh, a slightly sarcastic mark on uh, on Twitter that uh, actually the only reason you can tell it's a commemorative Challenge Cup uh hat is that it's embroidered on the inside rather than the, the outside. So um Lee, I, I know we've talked about it before on the podcast, but you know, we, 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 we've had some comments on some of our social media platforms. You see things on the, the Bristol bears fans forum as well. Um, the, the club still don't seem to be getting it right as far as, uh, the stock having the right number of sizes and really capitalising on the the success that we're having on the field.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy, Tony, isn't it? I mean, it, it is really laughable um, that we're you know first game in the challenge uh, in the Champions Cup and we've got no stock in the shop again. And um, I don't know. I just thought that we would have learned our lessons over the last couple of years and but but we just don't seem to do it do we and funny enough i actually purchased the the blue bubble hat you know like the the traditional one um which uh, i have to pick up in the week but um yeah why why can't we get this sorted out in the shop why i mean i know you did make a little quip the other day about the limited edition. Um, and it's a limited edition because literally there's only like ten ten for sale <laughs> so uh, but surely someone down there has got to pull their finger out of an orifice and get something sorted out surely <laughs> mm-hmm. and miles it
0: was it was about a year ago actually to the to the day that we did our um uh, survey of fans around um, what people thought of uh, the shop and the stock and of course we were in the very midst of Bobblegate uh, this time last year thankfully there are some woolly hats and they have been uh, available for for most of the season or all of the season do, do you think it's uh, as, as a podcast we should go to the masses again and uh, ask people what they think uh, yeah yeah why not I mean i our I...
1: Uh, budding supporters of the Bristol Rugby sort of uh, Facebook page love a good whinge Uh, so (laughs) this is something that will be right up their street I think Tony and and I agree with with Lee really that I don't know I mean we had assumed as uh, followers of our fine club that a switch to a reputable kit supplier like Umbro may have sorted this issue but alas Something has still gone wrong. I mean, I'd love for the club to tell us whether it's because of COVID supply, I don't know, but why, why still we moved to a different supply umbrella away from Bristol Sport and the same issues persist. And I love the fact that you said, Tony, that the only way you know that it's commemorative hat, as like the bobble hat, my mate bought one the other day and I was chatting to him at my kids' football yesterday, the tab. Is on the inside. So only him and his fine head know that we won the champion the Challenge Cup last year. And he even said, the fit's a bit small. He took it back to the shop to see if there was something wrong or if he was palmed off with the kid's side. And apparently not. It's a bit on the tight side. So... All right, if you've had a recent
2: haircut, but if you've got a fair old barnet, it's a
1: bit bit (laughs) small
2: as well. Old Nathan would struggle, wouldn't he, at the moment? (laughs) So, you know, come on, Bristol
1: Sport and Umbro, pull your socks up if you can get them. (laughs)
0: And Pete, as our resident fashion consultant, I just wanted to ask you. I don't know if you have you seen the new cap as well that's got that um, jazzy geometric uh, kind of visor on the baseball cap. Now you being the the you know recognised as a, a gentleman of exquisite taste, do do you think you could carry that one off walking down North Street?
3: Uh, in my mind, Tony, yes, but when I surveyed my family, it was a it was a categorical no. And actually, I went actually down the shop. The only reason I saw that down the shop was because I went down to see if they had followed up my requests for um, training speedos. And I was very disappointed to find that they hadn't. And then when I saw the cap, I said, well, I'll have have one of those instead. And they said, sorry, sir, it's only for under 40s. (laughs) So um, it wasn't really, the decision was taken out of my hands, Tony. They wouldn't even sell me the cap. They said that I wasn't trendy enough. Um, Actually, on a serious note, though, Tony, I I, I do wonder that maybe we're being a little bit, our, our expectations about the retail side of the club is maybe just a little bit too high I mean you know we we know that the club is a, in a big kind of time of transition and Pat maybe had a five-year plan for getting us to the top so maybe maybe the shop's got a five-year plan and uh, you know um, they are they're actually where they want to be at the moment uh, they weren't expecting to have anything in stock for at least two or three years um, uh, so I do wonder that maybe we should give them a little bit of uh, benefit of the doubt well, you know they heat uh,
2: <laughs> Pat had a five-year plan, but he actually started implementing things on day one. <laughs> the club shop just sat on it for the last three years and done bugger all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I,
3: well, I'm just trying to find a reason. I'm trying to find a reason, Lee. <laughs> well, well
0: I, I, I was chatting to someone on, on the fans forum, and it does amaze me that, you know, when we were up at the Mem, you you had the club shop was out of a porter cabin, um, and they still had more stock and more of a range. Uh, and, and finally, the last thing I wanted to talk about was um, the um, Bear All podcast that the clubs uh, uh, started uh, again. Um, Pete, any thoughts on, uh, on the other Bristol Bears podcast?
3: Oh, I've got to be honest, Tony, I haven't listened to it. Um, I've got such a long list of podcasts, ranked in intellectual order that that one unfortunately would have come down right at like number 43 in my list <laughs> obviously I start with uh in our time at the top and then I work downwards um so I, I, I don't know I think you you lads might have listened to a bit of it and I did see some of our social media friends had had a listen um, I'm sure it's brilliant if you like that sort of thing I imagine it's a bit like what Downsy did Last season, and then sort of frittered away. I'm sure it's some great bit of banter with the boys, um, talking about all their free stash and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm sure it's got a niche in the in the uh, bearer sphere somewhere. But no offense, I just don't think I can squeeze it into my busy schedule.
0: Well, there we are. Well, if the two Jakes want any uh, any advice on um, on hosting podcasts, uh, they they know our contact details. Well, gentlemen, we've we've had one or two little technical hiccups uh, with this this new software, but hopefully everything has recorded okay. Um, that's it for this show. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review or rating for the for Bears Beyond the Gate. Uh, and spread the love to fellow Bristol fans. Well, it was a tough start to Bristol's European campaign against Claremont, but let's hope we can celebrate a first Champions Cup victory on next week's show. Until then, goodbye, stay safe, and come on, Briz.